0: So we're ready to start. So welcome everybody to this Goodwill Meditation Group seminar, the webinar, I should say. We, every at the, on the final Wednesday of the month, we've been holding these gatherings to really recognize and participate in a practice, the use of a meditation that's being done by people around the world every Wednesday. It's a very simple meditation. It's a very clear meditation to strengthen and foster the energy of goodwill in the world. From an esoteric perspective, a um, spiritual crisis occurs when the world of the personal identity comes into conflict with the higher identity and values of the spiritual self. The present social crisis reflects a spiritual crisis because of the clash between what appear to be the better angels of our nature and the more separative concerns of competitive forces. And in this crisis, many sensitive people can't bear to watch the news. This is a very common experience because of the polarization and the suffering that's communicated in the news, the sort of level of trauma. In, in, in the past, this has happened in periods of human history in the past, although because of the internet and the communication system, we've never been so intensely and immediately involved in the collective consciousness as we are now. And back in the um, period leading up to the Second World War and the Ellis Bailey teachings, a student was advised um, who was having trouble and really concerned that he felt he wasn't contributing to the resolving of the, problems of conflict and crisis, the student was involved, don't try to solve the world's problems, but put your focus on being a point of the radiation of love within your environment. That's something over which you have some control and over which you can really work at. And as you do so, ensure that in your consciousness, you're sending that love out to all people and to all beings. And to know that in doing this, this is the source of the transformation that's required in World Affairs. That in a way, that's not a neutral, a negative stand. But to know that as you consciously work at refining your ability to work with Love, you're contributing to the evolution of human consciousness and particularly to the evolution of a global cooperation, vision for the future and of a new society, all of which is in process of emerging. This Goodwill Meditation that we're going to work with is a way of developing and deepening a sense of relationship with a vast body of people of Goodwill in the world. It needs a sense where each one of us, as an individual, feels a personal relationship with the universal process in Humanity, and feels a personal relationship with the people of Goodwill as a group, as a mobilized force leading the transformation in Human Affairs. So, what we're going to do is, we will work with this meditation now, and after that, my colleague Michael Galloway will share some thoughts on the theme of crisis cooperation and a vision for the future. I'll share some other thoughts and then we'll open the group up for some discussion and chat through the chat box. So, I'm going to turn my video off now, as we work with this Meditation. So, the Goodwill Meditation. We begin by linking in thought with all the people throughout the world who are working with this Goodwill Meditation group. That includes all the people on this Zoom call. And it also includes all those others who are working with this meditation and not part of the Zoom call because we form one group. Reflect upon relationship, reality of the fact of being immersed in relationships. As a human being, are related to your family. You're a part of your community, relationship with your community. You're also related to your nation, the world and with the country in which you live. And you're related to the world of nations as they interact. you, along with every other human being, is related to the one humanity made up of all races, all nations, all faiths, such incredible diversity, and yet one humanity. Together, use this mentrum of unification. The souls of all are one, and I am one with them. I seek to love, not hate. I seek to serve, and not exact due service. I seek to heal, not hurt. Reflect upon your own and on humanity's relationship with all those beings who dwell in the higher realms of mind and heart. The spiritual hierarchy of saints, rishis, bodhisattvas and masters, honored by all the world's religions and spiritual groups. Imagine that you're standing together within the center of the spiritual hierarchy, immersed in the consciousness of the heart of love. This heart of love is known by many names. For some it is known as the Christ. For others, the one at the center, Maitreya, the Mahdi, the Kauki maintaining that high point of contact, let your thoughts reach out to include all members of the human family in whom the energy of goodwill is active, vibrant, and alive. silently use the affirmation. In the center of all Love I stand. From that center, I, the Soul, will outward move. From that center, I, the One who serves, will work. May the Love of the Divine Self be shed abroad in my heart, through my group and throughout the world. Now, visualize the energy of love flowing from the spiritual hierarchy through the men and women of goodwill and into the hearts and minds of all peoples, infusing them with goodwill and creating loving and harmonious human relationships. Meditate on ways of spreading goodwill, creating right human relationships, and restoring peace on earth. Realize that as we do this work with this meditation, we are helping to build a channel between the spiritual hierarchy and humanity, a channel through which the energy of goodwill may flow, uniting humanity, helping us solve our problems, and healing all differences and cleavages. Now, linked in thought with men and women of goodwill all over the world. Say the great invocation, we'll use the adapted version. And as we do so, let's say it with deliberation and with full commitment to its meaning. And know that as we do this individually and as a group, we're radiating its potent energies to humanity. Thank mm-hmm. you. Thank you, friends. Thank you for that piece of work. Michael, over to you.
1: Thank you, Steve. Let me just get situated here. All right, so as, as Steve said earlier, um, we're going to speak now, or I'm going to speak now just for a little bit on the theme of, of today's meeting, crisis, cooperation, and a vision for the future. And uh, following on from what Steve said earlier, um, I'd like to speak a little bit about um, how those who study esotericism and the ageless wisdom understand and work with crisis, because it's from this perspective that I think we can really understand um, what's happening today within the body of humanity. So esotericism posits uh, a science of crisis, and this is essentially the right use of conflict and the tension which crises produce. Now, crisis can be either subjective, um, and that means really dealing with the relationship between soul and personality, or soul and its mechanism or vehicle, Um, or crises can be objective, which really means that it has to do more with your relationship to environing circumstances. Crises can also be of the individual, of us personally as individuals, or crises can occur in the group, such as the crises with, that are happening today and have always happened um, within humanity as a whole. Fundamentally, crises are caused by the bringing together of two conflicting energies into an enforced relationship. And these conflicting energies produce tension Which, when rightly understood and rightly handled, is actually creative potential. When rightly directed through the power of thought, this creative tension gives impulse and momentum to the process of the transmutation of consciousness. And this transmutation is really the spiritual opportunity with which crisis confronts us. And so, When I say transmutation of consciousness, this may sound um, a little bit metaphysical or uh, perhaps a little bit complicated, but really what it means is simply just um, the achievement of a new perspective, of a new alignment, of a new understanding, of a new way of looking at the world. It can just be the creating of sort of a new relationship between the self and the other. And the whole idea of transmutation of consciousness is that we as psychological beings become closer to the spiritual ideal towards which all life is evolving. Um, So as many of us know, humanity evolves through the agency of conflict and crisis, and this really occurs um, through three parts, and this was mentioned in an earlier webinar, but we have the crisis, which is produced for whatever reason, Two energies, usually in some degree the energy of the soul of humanity, the energy of the personality of humanity, are brought into a crisis. This crisis is um, brought to a point of tension or a point of intensification, and there is eventually an emergence or a resolution of this crisis or a movement into a greater unity or harmony. And so, as people of goodwill and as people who want to help humanity in its spiritual evolution, it's really important that we learn to understand these crises and to work with them um, effectively, to make full intelligent use of them um, to sort of bring about the best in humanity. As Steve said earlier, to bring about the better angels of our nature. And this is fundamentally um, requires us to work with the energy of love which is really the focus of the meditation we just performed. Um, more specifically, though, as the mantra of Unification states, our task with humanity and working with crisis is to make sure that the pain brings due reward of light and love. And this is only possible when the soul controls the outer form, as that mantra states. And from one perspective, what seeks emergence through the present crisis and tension in humanity um, could be seen as sort of the consciousness of the soul. And another way of saying this is to say group consciousness, because the soul is ever conscious of the whole of the group. Now, group consciousness, you know, what this means in a very mundane sense, how this works out in sort of the particulars, is really a a point of great contention, actually. And all we need to do is look at the political and economic ideologies of the past 70 years, and we can see a clear tension between the group consciousness on one hand and individual responsibilities and freedoms on the other hand. There has been conflict between these two apparently contradicting um, ideals. This is really all tied up in the problem of ideologies. And as this problem is resolved, I think it will be more apparent to humanity um, how to merge these two camps. And this sort of resolution of ideology, this sort of merging of what is seemingly two things that are at odds, this comes about, of course, through the agency of the soul as it awakens in humanity. As we know, the soul is both an individual entity and it is one with the group. And this is a definite um, paradox, an occult paradox, Um, And it's one which humanity hasn't yet resolved, but which through crisis and through tension and through the right use and the emergence from that crisis, um, that truth will be understood. Now to get to our theme, um, cooperation is one of the greatest ways to affirm the fact of the soul. Cooperation unifies the individual into the group and the individual with the group. And so today the coronavirus, which has created a great crisis within the body of humanity, it has really intensified and worsened um, some of humanity's most urgent problems. And this increases the need for cooperation at the local, national, regional, and of course the global level. And this constitutes a very real spiritual opportunity for humanity. The United Nations is the foremost forum for multilateral diplomacy in the world. We all know that. Um, But it also serves as a place of focalizing the right thinking of humanity and of the application of that thinking to the transmutation of its problems. This is really the right use of crisis. And if you look at it from sort of a more energetic way, a more occult perspective, as a place of right thinking and a place of focalizing this thinking, um, the United Nations is sort of Ajna center of humanity in a way. And with this in mind, it makes sense why its main headquarters is in New York, which we know is the Ajna center um, of the planet in a way. Um, so the UN is doing a lot of a lot a lot of work on the pandemic, and the UN recognizes that this pandemic is much more than just a health crisis. It is an economic crisis, it is a social crisis, it's a human rights crisis, it's a debt crisis, it's a development crisis, an inequality crisis, a good governance crisis, and also of course an education crisis. And with this in mind, earlier this year, the Secretary General published um, several policy briefs on these problems of humanity Specifically focusing on those problems, which are being intensified and precipitated by the pandemic. And I'd like to just very briefly um, review a few of these. Um, And I'd like to share just real quick a video or not a video, just uh, these are the, how many of these? 12 of uh, of the policy briefs that are published, the website, is down there, I encourage all of you to look at those. But we'll just briefly summarize, I'd like to just briefly summarize just a few of the major points um, regarding socioeconomic impacts, the policy brief. It states that the effects on people in the formal and informal economy are devastating. The impacts are complex and affect us all. Interestingly, had we been investing in in the Millennium Development Goals and the Sustainable Development Goals, we would now be better equipped and have a better foundation upon which to withstand some of these shocks. Um, You could also turn that around and say that uh, the degree to which we have invested in these sustainable development is the degree to which we are now able to withstand them. Regarding leadership at the geopolitical level, the crisis um, cries out for leadership, solidarity, transparency, trust, and cooperation. Um, This is not a time for self-interest, recrimination, censorship, obfuscation or politicization. This policy brief list specifically um, four overarching principles, five overarching principles for sustainable solutions to the socioeconomic problem. These are very briefly, and these are all very broad, by the way, the, the, the briefs go into much more detail. And so I'm just outlining these just to get, so we can get an idea of kind of what some of the things the UN is doing to kind of bring the problem A little bit more down into the particulars. But these overarching principles for sustainable solutions to the socioeconomic problem is first of all to keep all people, households, and businesses afloat. This is really the main objective, focusing in on the individual level. Um, Second, extraordinary times require extraordinary measures. These are not the time for half measures, It's the time to make broad solutions, to make broad proposals, to fix fundamental problems. Um, Specific measures are needed at different levels. What's needed at national and global levels is not needed at the local level. Uh, Fourth, developed and developing countries do not need the same resources. Also at the local level, which is the frontline of the pandemic, um, the capacities to respond rapidly to the crisis um, differs greatly This depends on the government, the governance context, the financial health of the local government and the national governments, um, and also their budgetary authority, the degree to which they can manage and actually do things with that money. Also, a whole of society approach is needed. This means looking at all classes, um, all ethnic groups, um, across all sectors of the society and making sure that nobody is left behind. Um, looking at more of the specific um, measures that should be taken. The UN is calling for inf- and advocating for the implementation of human-centered stimulus packages, which reach double digits of um, world GDP. He said they say specifically countries must do what they can to protect the labor force, which is the most vulnerable during this time. Um, and this includes those in the informal sector, which are often overlooked. Um, states must resist the temptation to resort to protectionist measures. It says, of course, these may be needed in the long, in the short term, but they are not a long-term solution. We must boost the economies of developing countries. Um, even developed countries, they actually have an interest in making sure these developing countries recover properly from the pandemic. It's an interrelated global system, as we know, um, for migration crises refugee crises economic crises the whole world is interrelated um, and we can't really afford for um, any aspect nobody can be left behind basically nothing can um, where there's no, no man is an island unto themselves as they say nobody is um, really independent of the crises that are occurring anywhere in the world um, also they call for this the waving of sanctions during this time. In a moment of solidarity. Moving on, also, I'm just going to outline a few more, and then we'll um, I'll let Steve say a few things if he like, regarding human rights. The policy brief outlines three rights that are on the front line of the pandemic, and I'd like to just state them very succinctly. The first right, which is most at stake, is the right to life, and of the duty to protect life. The second is the right to health. And the access to health care. This goes back to the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. Each human being is entitled to a dignified life, and this requires health care. Um, it may be worth remembering the Universal Declaration of Human Rights affirms not just civil and political rights, but also economic and social rights as well. The third right, which is um, outlined here, it's on the front line of the pandemic is the central challenge to the freedom of movement, which is a fundamental human right. Restrictions on movement may be necessary in the short term, but they should, be, they should serve a specific purpose, they should be proportionate to the need, and they should be non-discriminatory. Um, there is of course a lot more details there, but just moving on briefly regarding education. Um, this policy brief says that education is the key to personal development and the future of societies It unlocks opportunities, it narrows inequalities, it is the bedrock of an informed, tolerant society, and a primary driver of sustainable development. The COVID-19 pandemic has led to the largest disruption of education ever. So with that in mind, the policy brief calls for action in four key areas, and that is first of all, the reopening of schools. This of course should be done once COVID-19 is under control and as safely as possible the prioritization of education and financing decisions. Um, Even before the pandemic, there was a $1.5 trillion gap in low and middle income countries and education funding. The third key action is to build resilient education systems um, for equitable development. This means focusing on those that are at the greatest risk of being left behind. Education can be and should be the great equalizer. Um, The fourth is to reimagine the future of education. This is not a time to return to the status quo. It is a time to plan for the future. This includes investment in digital digital literacy and infrastructure. Um, One more policy area I'd like to just outline briefly is mental health. The Secretary General's policy briefs outlined three recommended actions to minimize the mental health consequences of the pandemic. Very briefly, these are to apply a whole of society approach to promoting, to protect and care for mental health. This is looking at all sectors of the society, those that are the most vulnerable, those that don't have any money, those that are in the informal sector, and to make sure they get mental health care that they need. The second recommended action is to ensure widespread availability of emergency, mental health, and psychosocial support. Um, this, of course, is difficult during times of lockdowns, but governments um, should be looking for creative um, ways to provide this support to people, and not just governments, but also NGOs, intergovernmental organizations, etc. The third recommended action is just to support recovery from COVID-19 by building mental health services for the future. Um, as many of us realize there's a growing need for mental health services and this is a perfect time to build back better. Than ever. Um, so that was a lot of information in a short time, but hopefully it just gave everybody sort of a, a, a brief sort of idea of what um, is going on at the UN and what, 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 what kind of thinking is going on on these problems and sort of how the UN is taking advantage of the opportunity. Like I said, these policy briefs they are really, really, you know, this overview is very, very brief. The briefs themselves are about 20 to 30 pages each. They go into much more detail, but even the briefs themselves are very brief because there's a lot of work being done. Um, so, Steve, do you have anything to add? Um, maybe there's some things in the chat I haven't I haven't looked.
0: Thanks, Mike. Um, there's a lot. Um, of Is that okay on the audio? to me. Is my audio okay? That's better. Your audio, but I
1: just missed what you just
0: said. Sorry, what was that? Okay. Um, thank you for that. That was that's a very good overview. It strikes me that looking at I love this slide. It's a fabulous slide, and if we think that. The Secretary General's policy briefs, if we think what that represents, it's not the opinion of the Secretary General. It is the result of a, a process of reflection involving international civil servants, in other words, the, those who, um, are, who, whose professional life is working to build cooperation, to um, to provide a secretariat that fosters and encourages and stimulates the harmonising of the actions of nations. So, this unders- way of looking at COVID-19 and the spiritual challenges that the crisis presents is a result of reflections from the sort of UN body itself, from civil society, from thinking within civil society, from the sort of networks of parliamentary bodies are now these regional parliaments that are really interesting. European Parliament, um, there are parliamentary bodies emerging in Asia and elsewhere and in Africa. Um, Academics and those who spent their whole life studying these issues. So together, we don't see it, but at the heart of this crisis, there is this deep thinking about what is politically possible for humanity as a whole to respond positively to the crisis. The other thing I wanted to say is that it's really important to me to emphasize that the human experience of crisis. We're now involved in a crisis that is throughout our cities, wherever we live, all of us our communities all those areas we talked about relating to in the meditation and the experience of crisis is enormous upheaval it's dangerous because um, there are potentials in crisis to go to, 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 to not have positive results we have to go through that because that this this idea of understanding crisis is that is how we learn because through crisis we learn, and in the midst of this crisis, it's really important not to put the focus on the overheated emotions, which are an understandable and almost an inevitable part of crisis. But as a group of meditators, as, a, as all the spiritually concerned people in the world, to use our mind to look at Something like this map we see of the way in which humanity as a whole is beginning to reflect on how we can move forward um, in terms of mental health. It's one of the biggest issues, certainly in Western societies, but in most societies, mental health, human rights. The challenges we face are not easy to answer how we respect the sacredness of every individual human being. Now, there are these two principles that human consciousness is now intimately involved in, the balance between a future where the sacredness of every individual human being is respected and the freedom of that human being to grow and develop in their maturity, their spiritual maturity, balanced with the reality of the fact that we're all part of one life, incredibly interconnected. And as we become aware of this, we're given these challenges where we have to manage our interdependence, challenges we've never, ever had before. It really makes us grow up as a species. The other thing I thought of is this idea that um, that that a crisis really involves some making some the opportunity to choose a higher level of cooperation, to choose to cooperate, and this involves the conflict of the various ideologies, and the really important point to my way of thinking of the Tibetan's teachings about this is that it's not so much that we have to build sort of compromise between the different ideologies. It's more that we see within each ideology, so um, from a Western sense, a more, a more conservative approach or a more uh, liberal approach, or what's called a progressive approach. It's not so much the need to build a compromise between those two as to look for and identify those thinkers in each ideology who are filled with goodwill and whose thought around those ideologies comes from a wish for the good of the whole That's not everybody. And so when we think of strengthening goodwill, we think of a conversation, if you like, to develop policy around these. We look at what we see on the screen before us to develop policies that have the voices of a conservative voice, a so-called progressive or liberal voice, of, and we look for those who only want the good of the whole, who only want the best possible solution, because that's that's goodwill, that's the spirit of goodwill. Where goodwill exists, cooperation naturally evolves, and that's what I think. Um, we're seeing in the world, we're seeing forces of goodwill becoming more intelligent, being able to cooperate intelligently in the midst of incredible emotional um, discussion, much of which is marked by an absence of goodwill. Or of the, other, the other thing I wanted to add, and, and maybe if someone, um, Michael or Don, if you could add to the chat box is. To Have a look at the blog, The World of Will at the United Nations. There's a a blog, World of Will at the UN. And in this, we are currently featuring um, just articles that you can read from various sources that look at how the hard nosed response of the UN is evolving to see the way in which this crisis can lead to positive outcomes, um, the, the, the theme is that the pandemic makes us really, it's making problems worse, problems of poverty, problems of human rights, nearly all of the problems are being exacerbated. One of the values of this is it makes people who want to work to resolve those problems much more realistic, much more hard-nosed, what works moving out of ideology to what can work to take societies from where they are towards closer to the sustainable development goals to each of those goals. And you can really see evidence of this. And I think if you look at the World Will at the UN blog, um, you will see examples um, where people are really reflecting on how to build back better after the coronavirus has ended and in the process of dealing with the coronavirus, and how to build back in ways that actually support movement towards the sustainable development goals. Um, there's lots of evidence of really important thinking, thoughtful programs developing at the level of government, at the level of civil society, Um, There's references to a very interesting website, UN2020, which is a coalition of many civil society groups representing millions of people from around the world, really reflecting on a new UN. What is possible, what's now politically possible in terms of not big reforms necessarily, but a UN that... Better enables and fosters cooperation to occur, to harmonise the actions of nations for the common good. Um, so, with those thoughts, let's have a look and see what who, who's got something to say. So, let's have a look at the chat box. Michael, leap in.
1: Um, so, yeah, there are quite a few comments here. I'll just go back to the beginning. Um... Matthew Martin says to make sure that everyone in the world is included in any good or in, or in any solution that we think of for the world at this time. And there is a lot, that's, that's, really, that's really a great comment, I think, because it is so easy when you start thinking of the big picture for the individual to be left behind. And this is another tension between the group and the individual, and one which the UN, especially since 2015 with the UN SDGs, has been trying to resolve. And they do this. Specifically, through this, through making sure that no one is left behind, you will find that a lot throughout most of you in literature, um, and it's just something that it's a it's a it's a principle that they that they have integrated into all of their work. That no matter how macro considerations become, you know, it goes down back to the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, back to the right to a dignified life. You know, is you know what is this. Is this policy good? Okay, well, maybe it, it's it's good in a macroeconomic sense, but what about that individual on the ground in that country? What about their dignified life? You know, that has to be considered as well. And so, it's a way of kind of bridging between those two principles. That's that's a great comment.
0: Um, Sue, Sue brings yeah, I really, up. Yeah, you know, I'm just going to say I really like Sue's comment. Thank you for bringing that up. Um, the thing, my response to this, is, you ask. Are they taking and making the best possible decisions and solutions for humanity when they are pushing dangerous and toxic, and toxic, vaccines? That's a thing. That's an issue that um, most people on this call. I guess there'll be a huge variety of opinions because there are many different opinions. And the thing that interests me in this Sue, is this question, and it's to me it's the fundamental question in the way we think about the UN. The UN is less about them, they, um, someone else, some authorities, than about humanity coming to an understanding. And so in relation to vaccines, there's clearly different perspectives in humanity amongst people of goodwill, there's different perspectives in the esoteric community, and so on. And so that's an issue and it's a conflict Um, that can only be resolved through constant discussion, conversation, um, and clear research. Um, And so the UN represents um, the the evidence for vaccines is is incredibly strong. Um, And yet there's a strong voice that has concerns about vaccines. And there isn't, as yet... Um, I would have thought any clear answer um, that any society has come up with. And so that's something that the way in which we contribute to the resolution of that is by participating in the conversation, by seeking to expand what my view would be seeking to expand our own understanding. So if we have a strong view, um, we also look at other views. And we try to identify um, where there's a real motive of goodwill and the good of the whole in the different views and and reflect on different perspectives from those people who are motivated by goodwill, Um, which is um, certainly in a discussion like that, a lot of the people, to see that um, there there are different ways of looking at these things. Sorry, Michael.
1: And it's good to note also that the, you know, the way international law works, the way the UN works, is the UN has really no sovereignty over anybody. Um, only national governments have sovereignty over their people. And ultimately, it's up to the national governments um, what 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 happens. You know, the UN it takes direction from national governments, and they, they implement things in line with the mandates that they're given by... By by countries, by nation states, um,
0: and also in, in uh, one's local, um, you know, one's local community. That's why I think these discussions are really interesting. To to take an issue like this as an opportunity to engage in a discussion where people have different perspectives and different viewpoints. Mm, yeah, and and so that's really working with conflict and and learning. Um, is something that people feel strongly about, to how do we find cooperation within our local community around an issue like that? How do we respect different perspectives and identify those who clearly are interested in the well-being of the whole, rather than either just ideological or um, just strongly opinionated. Um, and, and to really think and research and read and be open to other perspectives.
1: Um, so, Verena Davis she says that it's it's great looking at these things the material level because the meditation work is in support of that from below and from above simultaneously. That's excellent. Um, important. Yeah, Matthew Martin says it's important to remember they were all that we are all in the same boat. Uh, Eleni Leviri, Um speaking about the present investing in the future, education, mental health, and physical health. Many people are experiencing overwhelm and exhaustion because of the time they spend and relate to with screens, digital technology has any consideration given to that, and the effects of screens and digital primacy on the brain and mental health. I'm sure there are groups doing that, you know, so I don't know the specifics, but I'm sure you can, you can look at, um, you know, the UN's work and you can. You can find some stuff on
0: that. Uh, so the, there's terrific concern um, amongst many spiritual groups and different, again, different perspectives. I, I, I sort of, I go with you um, on this, Eleni. Um, that part of the intensity of the sort of psychic life at the moment is because we're using so we're working so much with electronic digital. Um, we're working through electronic and digital technology, that brings with it advantages. What I was thinking, but it also brings with it um, dangers, and particularly for more sensitive people, and so therefore it throws responsibility back on the individual um, to decide how one's going to engage with um, this technology and communication. But one of the things that, I was thinking during this call is that what the pandemic has done is for a period of time, it has forced many, many people, say within the New York world servers and goodwill workers, to move away from intense intergroup work, say in their profession in their office where they work, where they're really serving human development. Um, So instead of being constantly engaged in conversations with one's co-workers and with co-workers from um, other organizations all around the world, people are working from home. And one of the things that for a period of time, and one of the things about that is it strikes me that group consciousness will grow because the individuals are having to move out of the sort of physical, environment of interaction with people to have some space to really think what they personally think and that and and by really thinking that means becoming open to impression from the soul and then the group of course gains because this deeper these deeper units in the group are the way in which the group itself deepens so to me although it seems strange to have the social distance um, it actually can lead the individuals, it can lead all of us to force back on ourselves and to think, what do I really think? And that is actually invocation. Now that's an invocation to those different aspects of mind that we may sometimes ignore because we're so involved in physical interaction with our coworkers.
1: Um, I'm just, we're getting sort of close to the end of the webinar. So I just like to scroll through and highlight a few of these, but, um, Barbara DeFerry Foster says, isn't tourism a rather questionable ideal to promote thinking about the damage of air travel to the air quality and potentially climate change? Can, can this wait until, uh, until we have better forms of transportation?
0: The, uh, much of the tourism Discussion and conversation is about sustainable tourism, Um, and it's about trying to find a pathway for tourism, which has become such an important part of economies. Um, Many economies are almost totally dependent on tourism. Um, So to push them on a path towards sustainability, both in terms of travel and in terms of also a deeper experience for tourists, so that they engage with other cultures, they so that they actually, the tourists actually experience something in their relationship with the natural world that will change the tourist. Um, so, you know, I think there's two sides to that. Uh, what you say is, is understandable, but it's like, it's as if tourism isn't going to suddenly go away because it's also a very important part of us getting to know ourselves as a, as a community, getting to know our diversity and having a physical experience of, whole societies, a physical experience of what it's of something of what another culture is, what another perspective is.
1: Yeah, I I just like to highlight, Steve, what you said about the, you know, especially some some of these smaller countries, large percentages of their of their income and their economic system, their economic health is based upon the, the income generated by tourism. This is also at like a local level as well. And so if you think of the, the devastation caused by the economic situation is actually quite severe in these places. And so with that in mind, um, you know although tourism does produce some pollution, um, it probably, many would say at least, of course you could argue this, that it outweighs the, uh, the damage done by that pollution to restore the, the livelihoods of these
0: people. There is a huge focus on sustainable tourism. So, mm-hmm. um, if you're interested, you just Google sustainable tourism and you will see there are, it's, it's a very big area of interest and concern and develop and you know, developing your approaches. Barter trade, Heidi, yes, I, absolutely. Um, it would be interesting to explore, I would imagine, if you were to do a little bit of research, you would find that during this time, during this coronavirus time when the economy is in such a strange state, um, barter trade is actually something that has grown a lot. I have no idea, but I would imagine it would make sense to me that um, people are are bartered um, between countries, between communities, between villages, say, or towns. Rather than, because also money is, there's limited access to money for most communities. So data is really the only way of um, of doing things. Even, even some of the getting um, personal protection, you know, protected with the PPP. Um, Jennifer Valoria says... Um,
1: and highlighting no one left behind, the problem is most that is that most economic policies and funding mechanisms tend to benefit the people in power, particularly in LDC, least developed countries. Um so yeah, I think a lot of least developed countries, you know, there's the uh, one of the one of the, the big problems, governance problems, especially in least developed well, really a lot of countries. I shouldn't just say least developed countries, but the problem is corruption. And so when you have Um, You know, when you don't focus on the no one should be left behind, it's easy for these kind of macroeconomic economic policies to just, you know, unless you take that into account, the individual into account, then you're going to find a concentration of power into, you know, an elite group. Um, So the distribution of wealth, I think, is is part of that no one left behind.
0: Sam Jones makes a comment about the ratification of the um, Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty. Um, uh, I think that's the the treaty, which has just been ratified because 50 states have just ratified it. So it's become a treaty of law, um, making nuclear weapons illegal. That's an incredible process. Uh, And and Sam says, you say, how do you see this in terms of the meek will inherit the earth? Yes, I, um, another way of seeing because the another way of seeing that would be that the muscle of goodwill is attaining power, and it's doing so through knowledge, through sort of moving away from ideology to smart, skillful. Um, ability to engage in debate um, and let's visualise that treaty um, becoming, eventually becoming a norm because that's what then starts to put pressure on the, the, the large um, nuclear powers which of course um, it's a huge political issue to, to, for those powers to give up nuclear weapons. Um, uh, a treaty like this makes a big difference.
1: And I, th- I think it's important to highlight, you know, some people may know, may know that none of the large nuclear powers have signed the treaty, um, which, is, r- which is regretful. Um, but the value of this sort of treaty is that it shifts norms. And over time, the shifting of norms actually does have a profound effect in the international system. It has a profound effect on international law itself as well, even in a judicial sense. So it's it's a really really incredible accomplishment. Um, but I think um, Steve, we are a bit over an hour and five minutes now, so it may be time to
0: conclude. Uh, uh, do you want to announce the seminar. Uh,
1: Sorry, Steve, you broke up, or do you want me to announce it?
0: Uh, Okay, Um, so please, please, friends, um, we look forward to seeing you all on November the fourteenth. This is going to be a a, a Zoom conference. It's going to run from ten a.m. in Central European Time in Geneva, which is incredibly early for us here in. Um, US, but then it goes from Geneva through to London, starting at London starts at 2 GMT. And then when that finishes, we move on to the New York conference. Um, I don't think it's going to be possible for people to follow all three um, conferences, although some may be able to, which is wonderful. But the idea of these events, there are a very interesting range of speakers from the three different centers. and we'll be using a meditation. And the idea is to build a group thought form that holds at a point of tension uh, and focus the theme of the spiritual dynamics of crisis on the path to global cooperation. So it's like you can imagine all the participants in these three conferences, which will be Zoom events, together as a group, consciously invoking higher energies and shining a light on humanity's path to global cooperation, um, and the way in which the crisis we're in creates terrific spiritual opportunities. So I hope we'll see you then, you'll join, then you can find all of the information on the Zoom links at worldbible.org slash seminar2020.
1: And just one more reminder that next month, we will be back to the normal time of the webinar. Um, it's met this. It's met today one hour earlier in the UK and Europe due to their shift back to standard time. However, next month, the US will also have shifted back to standard time. So we will all be back um, to the normally scheduled time of 12 PM um, Eastern time US, 5 PM GMT, and 6 PM Central European time. So
0: thank you all. Have a
1: blessed, blessed time, blessed week. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.